Hey, this is Jeremy Isaacs, lead pastor of Generations Church, where we want to live like it matters. For more information about our church, you can visit us at g.church. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. Thanks again for listening. How we doing? We good? Hey, you were waiting on me. That was good. I like that. I like that. I like that. You're with me today. That was good. I, uh, I'm glad you're here today. I don't know what the weather's like right this second, but when I got up this morning, it was raining like cats and dogs. I was looking for the ark that was floating by. But uh, you got up today and you said, you know what? This is the day the Lord has made, and I will rejoice and be glad in it. And I think you made a good choice, and you're here today, and you look good, and you sound good. Uh, as I was walking on, the worship team was walking off, and they were bragging on how good you sounded today and how much they could hear. I don't know if they could hear everybody, but they could hear some of the folks in the front. So we need everybody to sing as loud as the folks in the front so we can fill the whole room. But you guys sound fantastic, and uh, you sound great. You look great today, and I'm thankful you're here. Why don't you turn to your neighbor and say, you look good. Why don't you look to the person that was your second choice and say, you look all right. You look okay. You look all right. I, uh, I'm glad that you're here. There's a lot of great things that uh, are happening, but tomorrow starts a really important season for our church family because we're sending kids off to camp, kids and leaders off to camp beginning tomorrow. If you ever attended summer camp growing up, raise your hand, raise your hand. Yeah. Will you guys turn up the house lights a little bit for me? I can't see them really good. I can hear them, but just, just keep them raised. If you ever went to summer camp, just raise them up, raise them up, raise them up. Oh, there you go. You look good. You look good. I like it. I like it. So I love summer camp for so many different reasons. One of the reasons that I love summer camp is because I met Corey there when we were 13. So you guys send your kids to camp. You never know who they're going to meet. Um, but uh, yeah, man, we met and it was that, I mean, the rest of the story, I mean, you're talking about, we, I, I tell the story, I was walking this way down the sidewalk, she was walking this way down the sidewalk, and she passed me, I've just been following her the rest of my life, that's really, <laughs> so send your kids to summer camp. But we also were in student ministry for over a decade and we love camp and so over the next three weeks, high school, middle school, grade school, we're going to send about 50 uh, folks to summer camp to join with hundreds of other students around this region of North Georgia to be together, maybe thousands when you put all the weeks together, but a really great time. They'll have a blast all day long. They're going to have competition and a lot of fun, but then every day they will come to a moment just like this, and they'll worship together with students their own age and hear a message and be challenged through the Word of God, and I'm excited for summer camp. So as it comes to your mind over the next three weeks, I want you to pray for our students and our leaders that are at summer camp. Will you do that with me? Will you do that for me? Uh, let's pray for, for our students and leaders that are going to camp. It's going to be going to be great. Last week, we started a brand new series, and if you weren't here, you missed it. We started a brand new series called Summer 7, and so over the next seven weeks or so, we're going to take a, a kind of in the middle, we're going to take a break and do something different for that one week on July 2nd for that holiday weekend, but over the course of June and July, we're going to look at the beginning of the book of Revelation. So if you, if you have never read that book, I would encourage you to kind of be with us all of the, these seven weeks because there's so much truth that comes out of these weeks. And Pastor Aaron kicked off the series last week, and he was helping us to kind of, as he set the stage, helping us to understand what it is that we're reading. And we talked about the fact that Revelation is literally a vision. It's a revelation to, given to the Apostle John, who was about 90 years old when he received this revelation. He was exiled on the, the Isle of Patmos. He was actually under house arrest there. He was, he was imprisoned on this island and he receives this revelation from Christ, of Christ, and he takes that revelation and he collects it, and that's the book of Revelation that we have. And so if you were to read it from beginning to end, from, from the beginning of the book of Revelation to the end, there's a lot in there. I mean, there's a lot to really read through and to try to understand. Some of it is very literal. 
Sometimes, some of it is very figurative. You're, you're trying to understand what it represents. It's an allegory of something that's to take place. And some of it happens in real time. Like you can see that this thing happens and then this very next thing happens and then the very next thing happens. Some of it, the timelines overlap. So some of the things that are prophesied to take place, other things are happening at the same time. So they're not in sequential order. And so when you read it, you try to understand what it means. And, and I would say to you that I do not feel, and, and as we sat down to kind of work through it with our, our teaching team for this series, I don't feel confident telling you a lot of absolutes about especially the middle, ha- middle portion of the book of Revelation. And anyone that says like, thus saith me about this is what it means, I would, I would be very careful to really lean into the Holy Spirit of God as you read through that because some of that is still being unfolded. Some of that is still trying to be understood through the revelation of God in present day. And so some of it's that looking through a glass dimly, trying to understand what it means but I do think it's important for us as we read through this revelation for us to, to not miss the obvious as we're trying to understand the obscure. Like there's so many things we want to understand about it, but we just can't understand yet. It's kind of obscure. It's a little bit out of, you know, out of our understanding right now. But there are some very obvious truths in the, Re- the book of Revelation that we need to make sure we, we, we learn, we cling to, we apply in our everyday life. And so that's important for all of us. And so what Pastor Aaron said to us last week is that at the very beginning of Revelation, it sets the stage in Revelation 1, and then really in Revelation 2 and 3, we are introduced to seven churches. And he showed us a map. This was, I have had 10 or 12 people this week go, I never knew that. And this was like their big aha moment last week, or one of them, but that these seven churches were along the mail route, and they were in order of the mail route of the Roman Empire in that time. So these letters were then delivered to the angel of the church, or in that present day, that figurative language there means to the pastor of that church, to the leader of that church, for them to read to the congregation, a very literal congregation of people, the letter that's been written to them through the words of Jesus Christ in the collection of this revelation by the apostle John. And so last week, he introduced us to the church at Ephesus. And so that letter helped to confront some things, to really compliment some things that they had done well, but also to challenge some things that they hadn't done well. And he said, hey, I love these things about you, but one of the things I want to challenge is that you've fallen out of love with your first love. And he said in that letter, and what Pastor Aaron challenged all of us is, hey, let's get back to our, 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 our first things. Let's just kind of go back to those first things when we first fell in love. Let's just spend time together and really enjoy one another. And so there's a lot of ways that we can do that in our spiritual walk. And so I encourage, if you weren't here last week, to go back and listen to that message. And so today we have a a second letter, and I realized when I stepped up here, so let's just act like you don't see me doing this. I'm going to put this letter back in here from the first service. Oh, it's like Blue's Clues. Okay, so I got us another letter. I got us another letter today. I'm sorry, I was supposed to put that back and I forgot. So um, today we have a letter to the church at Smyrna. Now, not Smyrna, Georgia. If you got a Bible, I want you to go to me with... That was not funny in the first. I don't know why you laugh. In the first service, they just stared at me. I don't know if they know where Smyrna's at in Georgia. But uh, if you got a Bible, I want you to go with me to Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2. If you don't have a printed Bible, you can go on an app there on your phone. I encourage you to do this because we're going to kind of stay right there. We may jump to a few other places, but we're going to live right there in Revelation 2, beginning in verse 8. And we're going to read this letter to the church in Smyrna. And this is what it says. To the angel, or really, remember, to the pastor, to the leader of the church in Smyrna... Write, these are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. 
I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. So like the letter to Ephesus last week, this is directed to a very specific group of people in a specific place at a specific time. But some of the things that we're about to read are very transferable to the modern day church, to us as Generations Church, and to me and you individually. And so that's really where we want to land today. We want to understand what was the specific message that was being delivered, and then how do we take and glean from that what we should do in our own pursuit of a growing relationship with God. So let's look again to verse 8 and see what it says here. It says, to the angel of the church in Smyrna, write, these are the words of him who is the first, capital F, and the last, capital L, who died and came to life again. Now, when you see capital letters, I'm not an English major, but that means it's something proper. It means it's probably a person here. So we are referencing who? Jesus Christ. And if you don't talk back to me, I will go all day long. I don't want to go walk out in the rain. We'll just stay right here in the dry. If you talk back to me, I preach shorter. So the first and the last, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, the creator of the universe at the beginning of this story and the one who will rule and reign forever at the end of the story, he's talking about the resurrected Christ because he said, who died and came to life again. This is the resurrected Christ that we're talking about. And, and that's really important because he claims about himself, and, and it is important as you read this, especially if you read it in a printed form or if you are reading it in an app where there are different colored texts, because these letters are red letters. So often we see the red letters in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John at the beginning of the New Testament because they're the words that Jesus was speaking when he was on the earth. But because this is a revelation given to John by Christ, it is also red letters, so this is Jesus speaking in this moment. And let me just tell you, whenever I see red letters, like I perk up, I'm like, what is it that Jesus said and what should I do with what he said? So he said, hey, here is the one who is the first, capital F, and the last. That means the beginning and the end. This is who we're talking about, the resurrected Christ. He said, who died and came to life again. Now, we believe in a literal death of Jesus Christ, the son of God, the son of man as he was on the earth. We do believe that we celebrated or reflected on, remembered on Good Friday earlier this year, and we do every year, that Jesus came to the earth, he lived this blameless, sinless life, and then at the end of his life on earth, about 33 years after his miraculous birth, he was betrayed by a close follower, he was arrested, he stood kind of the hoax of a trial, and nobody really knew what to do with him, and nobody wanted to do anything with him except the religious leaders hated him so much that he was eventually beaten and crucified on an old rugged cross. And we believe that he literally died, his, his body on the earth, what was devoid of life, and then he was taken and placed in a tomb, and he laid there for three days. And we celebrated on Easter Sunday that he didn't stay in that tomb, that he was raised back to life. And that's what we celebrate. But when we celebrate that, if you've been around here very long, you've heard me say a number of times, we don't believe that Easter is an event. We believe Easter is a person. We believe Easter is a power, the resurrection power, the same power that raised Christ from the dead is available to all of us. And so whatever places in your life that you have that feel dead and they feel dormant, God can raise those things back to life. 
You've you got a part of your life, your job, your purpose, your marriage, your family, that it feels like, man, it is, it is dying or it feels like it's left for dead. It doesn't have to stay that way. The resurrection power is available to all of us through Christ Jesus, and those things can come back to life. We believe that with all of our hearts. And so he says here, the one who died and came back to life, that the death is not the end of the story here. Now, it's interesting, though, and I didn't know this. Maybe you do if you're a Roman Empire kind of scholar or you're really familiar with not Smyrna, Georgia, but this other Smyrna. Maybe you're familiar. It's on kind of the coast there of Turkey. And so maybe you're familiar with this part of history. But the city of Smyrna, it died in 600 BC. It was destroyed. They knocked down all the buildings. All the people were kidnapped or killed and hauled off. There was no one that lived in that town anymore after 600 BC. And so if you can go and look at pictures of of some of the ruins and some of the things that have been discovered where there used to be buildings and things, they knocked them down. And so for about 300 years, and again, if you're kind of a numerologist and you want to go, well, he was in the grave three days, my God, 300 years. Like, I don't know what you believe about that, but 300 years or so later, in 290 BC, that city was resurrected. The Roman Empire decided that they needed this city along the coast. They needed to be able to have this port and people to come in and out with ships for commerce. And they raised it up to be a place of entertainment for all the people that were on these ships to come in, have a show to watch and have a place to go. And this was the first place in the Roman Empire that they built a temple to Roma, which was the goddess of Rome. And it was a place that you were supposed to come and to worship Caesar. So in 290 BC, the Roman Empire raised up a city that had previously been left for dead for 300 years. And so Jesus is writing to a people here in Smyrna, and he's saying to them, I know your history. I've actually lived your history. I I see where you're at. I can relate to you. And he continues in this thought in verse 9 of what we just read when he observes what they're going through, and he says, I know your afflictions. I know your afflictions. Now, this word affliction here, it's not the only time it's used in the New Testament. If you go back to the original language, this Greek language that we have here, The word affliction is translated in at least 40 other places in the New Testament, usually as tribulation about 20 times, as trouble or as persecution together another 20 times or so. So together you have about 40 times that the word affliction, what the original text here is, that word is translated into other things. So affliction, persecution, trouble, like there's a number of things that it's translated. But the actual definition of this word is pressing or pressure. So he says, I know the pressure that you're under. I know the pressing that you feel on all sides. Like I recognize that there's some things you're walking through right now and you feel pressure. You ever felt pressure in your whole life? I I mean, I feel pressure like even now that sometimes is unexplainable. Like it's just like you just feel it. I don't know. And, And Corey will ask me like, how do you feel? I don't ever talk about pressure. I talk, oh, I'm frustrated. You know, I've got another word for it that feels more manly, I guess. I don't really know. But sometimes we put other words for it, other words and other meanings to it. But if you've ever felt pressure oppressing in, like you feel like you're getting boxed in, you've ever felt what you would define as affliction or trouble or tribulation in your life, Christ is saying to the church at Smyrna, I know your affliction. I know your pressure. I know you're facing some of that. And I told you that for about 300 years, there was no Smyrna but it was raised back to life in 290 BC. And when the Roman Empire decided to raise it to life, they invested a lot of money into it. Again, they made it a place for commerce and entertainment and the arts. And they built this temple to Roma. 
And so you were expected as a Roman citizen to go into the temple and to bow down and to worship who? Caesar. So you had to go into the temple. This goddess of Rome was there, this idol and this this place of worship and the burning of incense, not for Jehovah God who we were singing about, but Caesar, this, this deity of the Roman Empire. Well, that presents a problem for Christ followers. It did then, it does now. Because what we believe, all the way back to really preceding the law, preceding the Ten Commandments, but especially in the Ten Commandments, we are commanded to have no other gods before us. We're commanded that we wouldn't bow our knee to another, that we wouldn't expend our worship on another god or deity of any kind. And so now, if you were a citizen of Smyrna and you were a Christ follower, and you've got to pass every single day by this temple to the goddess Roma, and you're expected to worship Caesar, what do you do? Well, hopefully they did exactly what we see those three Hebrew boys do under the rule of King Nebuchadnezzar in the book of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. When they were standing there, they had been raised up. They had been elevated in that kingdom under King Nebuchadnezzar. But the the decree came that when you hear the music, there is this gigantic statue of Nebuchadnezzar, and it is everyone's responsibility to, when you hear the music, bow down and worship the statue, the idol of King Nebuchadnezzar. But those three Hebrew boys, they just stood standing. And word gets back to Nebuchadnezzar, and he brings them into the palace and says, hey, maybe maybe you guys didn't hear. Like, this is a pretty big deal. I mean, I don't want to make it all about me, but it's kind of all about me. So when you hear the music, you bow down. Music plays, they stay standing. Like, that's tough to do that right in front of the guy. He says, here's what we're going to do. We're going to give you one more chance. And if you don't do it this time, we're going to throw you into the fiery furnace, and we're going to make it seven times hotter than it normally is. Like, we're going to make sure you don't survive this. They're now threatened with their very lives. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say something pretty powerful to King Nebuchadnezzar. They say, we will not bow. We're not going to do it. We don't worship anybody other than Jehovah God. And our God is strong enough that he will deliver us even out of the fire. But even if he doesn't, we're still not going to bow. We're still not going to do it. It's not the right thing to do. And when I read through this, I think about the enormous pressure that the people of Smyrna were under. These Christ followers who were challenged every single day, there in the temple with the goddess Roma, to bow their knee to someone other than Jehovah God. Enormous pressure. In the second century, the pastor at Smyrna was, at Smyrna was a guy by the name of Polycarp. And one day he was arrested and he was brought into the city stadium and he was tied to a pole and he was burned to death. Well, almost. That, that was what they tried to do. But he didn't die through the fire. And so now he's in agony and he's in pain and it didn't do what it was supposed to do And as the people of the city of Smyrna cheered about his pain, they stabbed him to death. What was his great crime? Being a Christian. Being a Christian. I mean, Smyrna wasn't just all happy places. Christ writes this letter and he says, listen, I understand your affliction. I understand the pressure that you are under to stand for something in the present day. And if I could be so bold to ask us that question, are we willing to stand? Are we willing to stand? I'm not just talking about frivolous things. 
But like you can open your eyes and you can look around and you can see the pressing of the culture and the pressing of the things that are coming at us. But can we actually take a stand for our faith? I'm not just talking about giving our opinion. I'm not just talking about sharing something on social media. I'm saying like, let's keep in great perspective what we're doing right now. You and I are sitting in a room with no real fear that anyone's going to stop us from worshiping God. I mean, there's people that hate us. There's people that don't like what we're doing. But there's no real fear right now in the present day. I'm not saying that that won't change. I believe that it will. But there's no fear that we're going to be stopped from what we're doing right now. We're sitting in an air-conditioned, I don't think it's blowing real cold right now, but we're sitting in an air-conditioned room, right? We're streaming over the internet our worship and opening the Bible and nobody's stopping us from that. Like, so we, we've got it pretty good. When Christ said, I know your affliction, I know your poverty, but like you are rich. I, I think there might've been a little wink and a nod to us just a few miles north of Smyrna, Georgia, present day. When he says like, hey, you're rich though. Like you, you, get to, you get to open your Bible and nobody's stopping you from that. You can stand and declare that you have an allegiance to God Almighty. Like people may get mad about it. They probably will. That's the reality of the world that we live in. But like you can declare that. You can, you can, there, there should be a little bit of a stiffening of our spine to say like, this is who I am and this is what I believe. And, and, and just so you hear my heart, like I love where I live this community, this nation. I'm so thankful for the freedom that we had. We celebrated a few weeks ago and remembered and reflected on these men and women that have given their lives, like literally given their lives so that we could enjoy the freedom that we're talking about right now, sitting in this room and worshiping God, really unencumbered. But I also recognize that that's not the reality for everybody else in the world. And so I want us to keep proper perspective to make sure we don't take for granted what we're getting to do. By and large, Please hear my heart. By and large, the American church is not being persecuted like other places around the world. Like again, people don't like us, people hate us. We gotta stand for some things. But the American church is not necessarily being persecuted like other places in the world. I was at a conference this past week for a couple of days and I heard from a missionary from the Democratic Republic of Congo in Central Africa. And, and he was talking about what the Congolese people have to fight, what they're facing to do what we're doing today. Like they got to fight to get what we just had to endure a couple of extra red lights on the way here, little rain, right? Like they got to fight tooth and nail for it. And he was telling a story about one of their pastors in, in the Congo who's kind of out in the jungle and some rebels showed up one day and they arrested him and they took him to jail. And they kidnapped his wife and his daughter and they took them away deeper into the jungle. And they abused his wife in every evil demonic way you could possibly imagine. And so his church, trying to figure out what to do, was able to come together, sell some goods, bring their goods together, their money together. And they were able to scrape together $3,500 to pay the ransom to set free their pastor, his wife, and their daughter. And they paid these rebels $3,500 so that they could be set free. You know what the pastor, the wife, and the daughter did after they were set free? They went back into the village to pastor the church and love the people, praying and believing that God might give them the opportunity to help those rebels find the good news of the gospel too. Would we do that? This is not to make us feel guilty. 
This is not to kind of put a heaviness on us or to take away what we are grateful for, but I'm just saying, like, would we actually take that kind of stand? Would we actually be willing to stand up under that type of oppression? Right now in North Korea, there are more than 100,000 Christians that we know about in labor camps. Like, they got to work to live. You stop working, you die. You know what their punishment is for? You know what their crime is? Being Christians. Like believing in the same God we've been singing about. Some of them are found to have and hold Bibles. Just, just not even a Bible like this. Just, just tattered pages that they were smuggling in. And they would tear them apart so that you keep a page or two. And I'll keep a page or two. And I'll memorize my pages. And you memorize your pages. So that when we come together, we have the whole gospel. But I've got a page and you've got a page. Because that's all they can cling to. Would we do that? Like persecution is real. Suffering is real. Affliction and tribulation, it's real. And, and here's what I want us to make sure we're aware. We should be praying for those people. We shouldn't just see it on the news or hear about it from a pastor and go, oh, well, bless their hearts. Like we should be praying for them. Like saying, God, protect them. God, give them strength to stand. God, let them feel my prayers right now as they are being persecuted and perhaps giving their very lives for the sake of the gospel. And God, give me that kind of strength too, to stand firm. This is what it says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 9. It says, standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Around the world, our brothers and sisters are suffering for the gospel. But I also want us to have some hope because the stories that are coming out of those places is that some of the most oppressed places on the globe are the places that revival is breaking out. Like they're getting, they're getting like baptized in little creek beds that are only about this deep because they've committed their lives to Jesus Christ and they want to go public with it. Little river beds that are nasty, but they want to be immersed like Jesus was immersed. They're being sprinkled with as much water as they can find in the back room of their little house so no one would know except their church family and their church community because they are experiencing the good news of the gospel. Revival's breaking out all over the world because we've taken seriously the Great Commission to go into all the world, every single dark corner of the globe, and to make disciples. And people have given their lives to do that. So we have hope today to understand what's taking place, but there is persecution, there is adversity that's facing. The church at Smyrna was getting crushed and pressed on every side, and that's why the words of Jesus here are so powerful. You'll notice in this letter that he gives no correction to them, not in this letter, just words of comfort and encouragement. And maybe you need those kinds of words today too. Maybe it doesn't look like the persecution that we're talking about, but you feel crushed you feel pressure. You don't know how you're going to make it today, tomorrow. It's a financial pressure, perhaps. You've lost a job or there's a possibility that you will, and you're just not sure how you're going to make ends meet. There's a family pressure. Your marriage is on the rocks. You feel like you've got so many problems, you don't even know where to start to fix them. You're not sure what step one actually is. Maybe you've got kids or grandkids who have drifted far from God. Their heart seems so hard, and you don't know how to get through to them. Maybe it's a health pressure. You or someone that you love has been given this bad prognosis. And you, you're praying for a doctor that will give you a different report, give you some good news, but you're still searching. And it's crushing you. 
or so many other things. I don't want you to minimize the pain that you feel, the pressure that you feel. Don't make statements like, hey, we don't live in a war zone. First world problems, they're still problems. They're still real. The things that you face are real to you. And what we said earlier is that you can cast your cares to God and he's not sitting up there going, really, this is what you're worried about? Really? I don't know. He's saying, thank you for trusting me. Thank you for trusting me with those things. And he gives comfort and he gives peace in the midst of the problems that we're facing. You know, I preached a message a couple weeks ago, I'm not gonna re-preach it, about the brokenness of Jesus. But we looked at Matthew chapter 26 and we were looking at the story where Jesus blessed the bread, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples as they were taking communion. But at the very end of that passage in Matthew 26, this is what it says in verse 30. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. When they had sung a hymn, so they finish the Last Supper and they sing together and then they leave and they go to a different place. And Jesus goes with some of his closest friends, closest followers there. They go out to the Mount of Olives and eventually, a few verses later, he finds himself at a place called Gethsemane. You may have heard it referenced as the Garden of Gethsemane. And this is the place where Jesus prays that prayer right? He prays that prayer, uh, you know, not my will, but your will be done. If there's any, you know, any way this cup of suffering can pass by. But what he does is he takes his followers, he takes his friends, and he says, hey, I'm going to go and I'm going to pray, and I want you to pray with me. And so he goes off to pray, and he comes back, and he finds them there asleep. And he tries to wake them up. Hey, can't you tarry with me? You, you, ever, you ever been praying and you fall asleep? Just me? Okay, great. Awesome. But like, if you're ever trying to fall asleep and you can't, and you got insomnia, like you can pray sometimes and just, Lord, help me fall asleep. Sometimes it'll happen. You read the book of Leviticus or Numbers and you're just, whoo, just out like a light, right? That's not being disrespectful. I think, anyway, okay. So, but like, you just, he's just praying and he said, hey, Terry with me. And three times he comes back. Well, this place that they are, Gethsemane, was the place that they would come to on the Mount of Olives to actually press the olives, so what they would do, and I, and I didn't know this, I had to kind of read and study this a little bit, but, but what they would do is they would take the olives and they would put them in a basket and they would put a basin underneath that basket and then they would lay this heavy stone, this heavy brick upon that basket and it would crush the olives and the oil would come out of those olives and they would come down into the basin. And what they would do is the first things that came out of the olives, that first bit of oil, they would consecrate as holy and they would take it to the temple. It was the anointing oil that they would anoint the things of God and they would use them to, to, to burn things in the temple and they would use them for holy purposes. But then they thought, you know what, there's probably still some more oil in there. And so they'd take the basket, they'd shake it up a little bit, and then they would lay the brick on top of it again. And a second batch of oil would come out and this was the olive oil that they would use for cooking and for feeding the families of the village. But they thought, you know what, there's probably still some more in there. And they would shake the basket again. And they would lay that heavy stone on it a third time. And it would be collected in the basin. And the third time, the oil that would come out is what they would use for candles and for fire to be able to burn and to receive warmth. So holy things and kind of the feeding things and then the common purposes. So you got these three things that happen to the olives there in this place of pressing. And that's where Jesus went to pray. And three times he goes to pray and he says, Lord, if there's any way that this cup of suffering can pass from me, I don't want the heaviness of sacrifice. I, but Lord, not my will, but your will be done. And he goes back and he says, hey, can't you guys just stay awake for a few minutes? And he goes back a second time to pray and he's poured out and he's emptied out in that place of pressing and he comes back to them and he sees that they're asleep and he allows them to rest. Nothing wrong with rest. It's a good place for an amen, but you missed it. That's okay. So then he comes back a third time and he prays a similar prayer in this place of pressing, and he submits himself to God, 
He's poured out in that moment. And he says, now my betrayer comes. So Jesus is able to say to the church at Smyrna, I see you. I felt pressure. I felt pressed in on. I've submitted myself to even giving everything that I have. And he's speaking to us today from Hebrews chapter 2, verse 18, when he says this. See, since he, Jesus, has gone through suffering and testing, he's able to help us when we are being tested. He knows your pressure. He knows your pain. He knows what you're walking through. And maybe you need to hear that today. Because you're walking through a moment when you're raising your kids and there's pressure, maybe you're caring for aging parents and you're stuck in the middle and you're pressed on every side and Jesus says to you, I'm with you. Or you're in this moment where he sees the number of job interviews you've been on and he knows that you're discouraged because it hasn't turned out the way that you wanted and Jesus just calmly says to you, but I'm, I'm with you. You're walking through a season, again, with a son or a daughter and you're not really sure how to get through. And Jesus says, I am with you. He promises. He's with you. He says, I I see you. I hear you. I've been there. I'm with you. And then it says this, back in Revelation 2, verse 10. It says, do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Aren't you glad you showed up to hear that today? (laughs) Right? Right? But maybe that doesn't sound great to us. But there's two quick things that I see right here. I promise they're quick. The first one is this. Don't be afraid. No matter what you're walking through, don't be afraid. We, read, we sang it. We read it off the screen earlier. I'm not a slave to fear any longer. I'm a, I'm a child of God. Perfect love casts out all fear. I don't have anything to be afraid of. Now, this isn't to scare you. Sometimes when I start talking like this, I feel like you're like, oh man, I'm about to have a terrible week. Something bad's about to happen. What are you prophesying over? I'm not saying any of that. I'm just saying don't be afraid. The word says don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. You don't have to walk in fear. You can walk by faith with confidence. One of the other reasons that we can have confidence, we just read it. It says this. It says you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Again, aren't you so glad you came for that? Suffer persecution for 10 days. You know what? When I read this, you know what I thought? That's good news. That's good news. You know why? Because it's temporary. You may face some heartaches and some hard things and some pressing and some discomfort and some suffering. You may face those things, but it is temporary. It's not going to last forever. In fact, the Apostle Paul Now, we've been talking about John in Revelation. The Apostle Paul was another guy, and about 40 years prior to the book of Revelation being written down, in somewhere around 55 AD, the Apostle Paul writes a letter to the church in the city of Corinth. That letter is called 2 Corinthians. And this is what we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16 through 18. It says, Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary and what is unseen is eternal. Look at your neighbor and say temporary. Look at your other neighbor that feels left out and say temporary. 
What we see is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And so it means that no matter what you're walking through, no matter what you're facing right now, it will not last. It won't. The suffering and the persecution, the affliction, the poverty that you feel and that you're walking through, and you're not sure how you're going to make it, that, that weeping that lasts for the night. Listen, joy's coming in the morning. Like, you're not going to live here forever. And I know it's very real. I'm not trying to tell you or minimize what you're walking through, but I promise you, this is not the end of your story. It's not. And so we cling to hope. We recognize that it is temporary. It's light and momentary. In the larger scheme of eternity, which we believe in, in the larger scheme of eternity, this is a a light and momentary affliction. And if you look back over your life and you think about those nights that you couldn't fall asleep and you think about those days that felt so hard and you weren't sure how you were gonna make it to tomorrow that day, guess what? You're here. You made it. You made it to the next day. You made it to the next week. You made it to the next month, which tells me that no matter what you're walking through right now, you can make it to tomorrow. You can make it to next week. I promise you, it is light and momentary. And our hope and our faith is not found in our own strength or our own ability. It is found through Jesus Christ alone. The first capital F and the last capital L, the one who was dead and came back to life. Death and heartache and hardship is not the end of the story. We believe in resurrection power. And that's important to remember. And so Christ encouraged this Smyrna church. And I believe it encourages all of us today when he says this. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. I will give you life, eternal life, in the face of everything you're facing, all the pressure, all the persecution, all the tests, all the trials, all the struggles, all the suffering. Don't be afraid. He said, don't be afraid. Just be faithful. Don't be afraid. Just be faithful. It's so hard to do sometimes, isn't it? Because our fear challenges our faithfulness. But man, you gotta, you gotta stand firm. Don't be afraid. Just be faithful. Lord, how am I gonna make it through... be afraid. Just be faithful. And he says, listen, if you will stand firm, if you will stand strong, if you won't be afraid, but you will be faithful and you will trust me as a loving heavenly father that we sang about earlier, if you will be faithful, I will give you life as your victor's crown. I'll give you life. And so he said to that church, told those folks in Smyrna, I think he says to us today through his word, I see you. I see you. I see your affliction. I see the pressure you're under. I see the things that you're facing. I can relate. I was pressed too. I was crushed too. I can relate to you. I'm with you. I'm with you. I promise. I'm right here. So don't give up. Don't give up. Don't be afraid. Just be faithful. I'm going to ask you right where you are just to bow your head. Close your eyes just for a moment. It's a moment of reflection. Lord, what would you have for me today in response to all we've seen and heard? What should I do with your word today, God? And if you would say, Jeremy, for me, 
I'm, I'm not in a relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I, I need to have that hope you're talking about. I need him to forgive my sins and to be my Lord and lead and guide me from this day forward. If you raise your hand in just a second, you're not by yourself. But if that's you, would you just lift your hand? I want to pray for you. You can put it right back down. Thank you so much. Anybody else? Thank you so much. Thank you so much. In just a moment, when we pray, I'm going to invite you to pray a prayer as well. I'll give you some instruction. I want you to pray with your own mouth. Say, God, forgive my sins and be my Lord from this day forward. Now, if you would say, hey, it's not, it's not salvation for me today, but I'm under some pressure. I, I'm feeling crushed in certain aspects of my life, and I just need the Lord to help me to not be afraid and to help me to be faithful and to trust him. If that's you, would you lift your hand right where you're at? Tons of us today. Tons of us today. Let's pray together. God, we love you so much, and we do thank you for your presence. We thank you for singing Thank you for times of worship and prayer. We thank you for your word. God, we thank you for the letters you wrote to those churches and how we take from them and we glean great wisdom and how we should live ourselves. And so God, we thank you for this letter to the church in Smyrna. And God, I pray right now for every person that lifted their hand to acknowledge their need for you to be the savior of their life. And right now, this is your spot. If you made that decision today, just say, Lord, forgive my sins and be my Lord. That's, just, that's, just, that's all it takes, just an acknowledgement of your need for him, and we believe he'll save you. We believe he already has as you acknowledge that need. Just confess with your mouth that you need him to be your Lord and Savior today. God, we thank you that you still save people. We thank you for the free gift of salvation today in their lives. We pray you'd help us to walk this journey with them and help them to take first and next steps in relationship with you. And God, now I pray for every person that feels pressure and they feel crushed, they feel affliction today. God, whatever that looks like in their lives, I just pray right now for your perfect peace to rule over their hearts and lives. God, I pray that they would be surrounded by people, those in this church and even some outside of this church perhaps, that would just support them and love them well. But God, we pray that you would do what only you can do and lighten that load, unburden them today of the pressure that they feel. And God, will give you all the glory and all the honor for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Thanks again for listening. If today's message was an encouragement to you, we invite you to share it with your friends and family. Maybe subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. It just helps us spread the word about what God's doing here at Generations Church. For more information about the church, visit us at g.church. Have a great day, and God bless.